Hello. You look very like you're mindful. Why can't I think of the word right now? I almost said mindful eating, but we already <laughs> ate. <laughs> I'm mindful sitting here. I really miss dating no filter. That's oh where I God. learned about mindful eating. <laughs> I really wish they would do another season of that show. It's so stupid and so funny. Yeah, it's really great. So good. Oh, you're Megan. Hi, Megan. Oh, you're Megan. Like we just met. Oh, yeah, you're Michelle. Hi. Hi. Nice, to, nice to see you. Folks, this is Prosecco Theory. Welcome back. We want to talk about drugs. <laughs> Mushrooms specifically. Several kinds of drugs that you can do this with. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I guess the mm-hmm. articles mm-hmm. that I was reading mm-hmm. mostly leaned into the mushroom situation. Okay. First, before we dive into microdosing, folks, which really yes. we know nothing about. So per usual, we are talking about something that we've just decided to read up on. It's okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> everybody has opinions after they read a couple articles, sure. right? Yeah, what absolutely. makes this any different from anyone yeah. else? So we're going to tell you all exactly how to live your life after we're done <laughs> reading these articles. Megan, have you ever done any kind of psychedelic drug? Um, I don't think so. Let me think. <laughs> mm, nothing is coming to mind. Could okay. that mean that I did it and forgot like 15 years ago? Maybe. Possibly. But <laughs> I forget I, a lot of shit that doesn't involve drugs I at know. this point. So. I can't think of any right now. I have one experience, okay, um, which was pretty epic. I was in Hawaii with my family. It was my parents oh, and me and my brother. I think you told this story once where you guys got in the fountain. Did I tell it on the podcast? Did I forget that part too? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I did, but I it applies today. We were talking about vacations or something oh, and yeah. you told it on that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did do shrooms in Hawaii on Christmas night with my brother on the grounds of the Grand Hyatt and Sounds on the beach. Very jolly. It was great. Speaking of Christmas, since it snowed here Ugh. this last week a few times, I was singing Christmas carols to my kids just to fuck with them. And they were like, oh, God, mom, yeah. stop. My coworker turned Christmas carols on in her office because it was snowing. <laughs> I was like, actually, she might have done it before because it was cold and she wanted snow. And then it fucking started snowing. You know what? So you did this to me. I think I contributed. I did this <laughs> to us, too, because I still haven't taken my Christmas lights down. Um, My tree's still up. you said you were gonna take that down by your birthday i know oh let's talk about your birthday shenanigans i was chastising myself for the tree today and then i thought fuck it i don't care um my birthday shenanigans were lovely you had a fun birthday week and i say that because i got to participate in the fun that's right we got to go to sarah silverman we did we saw sarah silverman at the paramount theater sold out show Mm -hmm. and it was hot it was hot in there, yes. That's the thing. When you get tickets that are high up, like Amy yeah. Schumer, we were so hot. And it was summertime and it was hot. Mm-hmm. And then even in winter, I was hot. Watching you have Sarah the fire Silverman. inside. I know. I'm getting that corrected. Good. Yeah. How did you feel about Sarah Silverman? I think she's funny as hell. Hell yeah. And she was funny as hell. I was not prepared for the show to be what she jokingly called a work session. Many times. But I guess it wasn't a joke, though, because she literally had a pad of paper out yeah. there that she had jokes on mm-hmm. that she was flipping through and like making notes like, OK, that joke killed it or whatever. Yeah, she was like workshopping it, which I get that you have to do. Well, she just came off The Daily Show, right? She was guest hosting for a week. She was funny as fuck on She that. was great on The Daily Show. And I don't know when her last special came out, but, like, she's clearly working on new material, and that's fine. Maybe uh, we should appreciate that we got the freshest I guess. material. Maybe. Yeah, it didn't I, really bother me. I still thought no. she was hilarious. I was just a little taken aback. I was yeah, like, it, oh. It was just kind of strange. It, it's the kind of thing that you think would happen at smaller shows, not a sold-out 
giant theater in a big city. Right. I don't know. Anyway, not to knock on Sarah Silverman because I fucking love her and it was fun. It was fun. And then Michelle had a pretty big party, I would say, like thrown together at the last minute and people really came out for it. People fucking showed up. It was great. I don't know what the fuck got into me, but like I had been talking about karaoke with a couple gals a couple weeks before that. And I was like, what if I did that? What if we did karaoke? Yeah. And then I thought, well, that starts kind of late. What if we did dinner first? And then it turned into enough people that I was like, well, shit, now I need to like reserve a place. Now I need a venue. And so I did. I reserved a room at this local spot. It's called Watershed Pub and Eatery. It had what? I don't know, 30 people, maybe 25, 30 people for dinner. And then probably 15 went over to the other bar for karaoke. And it was great. We had such a fun time. I really appreciated everybody like, number one, that they were free. And number two, like coming out. It was well, so fun. it is kind of cool because when you are an adult, especially with children, it's pretty hard to commit and say yes mm-hmm. to something that's less than two weeks out, especially on the weekend. So the fact that so many people were like, yeah, I can make that happen. And probably a lot because they love you and wanted to come out and celebrate your birthday. Yay. But yeah, it was fucking hopping in there. It was fun. I felt very loved. That's good. It was really cool. I mean, you had fun. We did not do any drugs that night. Well, I didn't. Maybe somebody did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I just sure somebody the there was doing drugs. I was real high on life. That was sarcasm. <laughs> I had to leave the dinner party with four children, one of whom was yours. You had to leave with three children, and then you offered to take the fourth. Well, I had to. <laughs> I couldn't leave them there by themselves. It was actually totally fine and lovely. I got a video of you and Mimi and Abby singing karaoke together. While I was lying in my bed with a cat at my side, I was eating milk duds, and I was watching your place or mine on Netflix. Perfect. Shoving milk duds in my face, and I was like, that looks fun. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. This also feels fun. Anywho, on that note. Yeah. Let's talk about something cool. Drugs. <laughs> so these drugs are not just for funsies. Turns out they and can you know. actually be helpful. You know how people take drugs because they like how they make them feel? So they take a bunch of drugs. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, you can take just a little bit of drugs yeah. and still function and still like how you feel. Right. And if you need a little bit more... Maybe it helps you break through some stuff. There's like lots of ways to do it. And it's funny because there was a lot of research going on about this stuff in the 50s and 60s. And then they had the whole summer of love, 1967, drugs fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then Nixon declared the war on drugs in 1971. So a lot of the funding for the research kind of went out the window. And mm-hmm. so we're just starting to play catch up again. So mm-hmm. now you're hearing about all of this. You know what? This has actually happened as well with other medicines that mm-hmm. have proven helpful. And then there's like one research project that maybe is well advertised, but not well executed. But even the media attention that that one research project gets people get scared and stalls everything. Yeah. And it sucks because a lot of people that were getting relief before Mm -hmm. are too scared now to have that option. There's not enough research to legitimize the findings in that one study. Yeah, that's totally possible. And I'm sure it's happened a ton of times. If that happens with regular medication, pharmaceutical, yeah, that people fear like this gives me a lot of relief, but I'm going to stop taking it because I'm afraid that I'm going to get cancer or whatever. Some other big problem. I mean, that's a reaction they get with things that are not used recreationally to get high. So imagine what the reaction is. Yeah. 
when people are actually using it for recreational purposes. Right. Yeah, the war on drugs had nothing to do with pharmaceuticals. Right. It was all about... I just went off on a tangent there. (laughs) Just a quick piece of history to start us off. We'll start from the beginning. Lay it on me. A Swiss doctor named Albert Hoffman. The first time he did it, he had a wonderful trip. He accidentally got some on his hands. And it was LSD, okay, which comes from ergot, which is a fungus on rye. Okay, Albert Hoffman was processing it and breaking down all the chemicals for some company that he was working for. Wait, and he then, got a trip just from absorbing it through his fingers? Yeah, and that's some potent shit. Because it was directly from the source, or I don't know. Yeah, and then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to test this because I'm a scientist. I'm going to take more, but he took way too much and had like a very difficult trip. Okay. Until he was starting to come down and it was like leaving his body. So there was less of it. And then he's like, everything's beautiful. And he (laughs) said he woke up the next day, like transformed. He had this transcendent experience. Life is taking a new direction, new path, whatever. Have you heard of Aldous Huxley? I read about him just today. An English poet and playwright, I think. Okay. He noted at some point that contemporary education and this is in the 50s, I believe, in like the early 50s, was having this effect of kind of closing kids' minds off to possibilities. Okay. Here's the way the world works and all the things that are true and that's it. I can think of a lot of other things that we call that. (laughs) Sure. He wrote to an English psychiatrist named Humphrey Osmond and started this dialogue about that topic. And then apparently at one point asked him if he would supply a dose of mescaline which is the chemical in peyote. Okay. And so Osmond traveled to LA where Huxley was and supervised him going through this because he had been doing some research on these psychedelic drugs. He'd taken them himself to start. Like, I'm not going to do this to anybody else unless I do it myself. Okay. Apparently, as a result of that experience, Huxley wrote and produced the book, The Doors of Perception, which was about this trip he had in the Hollywood Hills, seeing all his surroundings and how he felt about the art around him and how it came to life. And so now there's this very famous trippy as hell book called The Doors of Perception. Okay. I always think about Hunter S. Thompson and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, right? Yeah. All the fucking acid that Johnny Depp's taking. And yeah. He probably actually took that <laughs> for filming. Yeah. Can't stop here. This is bad country. <laughs> Anywho, that was all in the early 50s. So people have been studying this for a long time. The term psychedelic was coined by this psychiatrist, Humphrey Osmond, in one of these correspondences back and forth with Aldous Huxley. And he said, to fathom hell or go angelic, just a pinch of psychedelic. and psychedelic means mind manifesting okay so yeah then enter the fucking nixon administration and then the reagan administration later on and all of the war on drugs stuff and we're gonna take dare into the schools and teach the kids how bad the drugs are and oh i definitely had some dare programming did you me too in my school my elementary school officer sherwood (laughs) i still remember i don't remember any of the officers names but i remember dare and i remember mad mothers against drunk oh yeah which, you know, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get them both, but I don't think dare really worked. It just made all of us very curious. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to offer me things? Honestly, going through all that education in elementary school, I have been offered drugs nowhere near as many times as I thought I would in my life from what I was told as a sixth grader. Well, for sure. But also, you didn't grow up in an environment where drugs are prevalent all around. So That is true. 
I did go to college, though. (laughs) I think everyone was getting the same education, regardless of where you were. Some people were just getting a little bit more street real. Well, and that's where D.A.R.E. started was in L.A. in 1983, trying to prevent substance abuse and gang membership and violent behavior. Yeah, I mean, no one was asking you to join a gang in North Seattle. As a you oh. know, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Absolutely. girl in North Seattle, there probably wasn't any gang membership Didn't in your future. live a very hard life, this one. <laughs> Street tough. <laughs> Anywho, so let's talk about what psychedelics can do for you. Yes, let's. This, to me, was the most interesting article that you sent. It's called The Difference Between Psycholytic and Psychedelic Ketamine-Assisted Psychotherapy. Yes. Really quick, neither of those things are microdosing. Those are both more of a dose than microdosing would be. But you can do any of that, I believe, with LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, um, mescaline, ketamine, ayahuasca, Right. And these two types of therapy are done in a controlled environment because the thought is that if you feel like you're in a safe space Mm -hmm. with a person you trust being your therapist, which hopefully you've been seeing for a while, there's less of a likelihood that you'll like get paranoid and freak out and have a poor experience. Totally. Will you describe the difference between those two things? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so the psycholytic therapy is a lower dose with greater frequency. So it says, doses are typically administered orally through lozenges, though intranasal administration is practiced as well. I don't understand what that means. It's like when you get the flu vaccine up your nose. Yeah, or the okay. flies in my cupboard. Right. Yeah. So it says the goal of a psycholytic session is not ego dissolution or self-transcendence. Rather, it is for a client to experience a non-ordinary state of consciousness while remaining in touch with the present moment and by extension, the therapist. So it's basically like a trance, mm-hmm. like you're in a trance. But you're yeah. still aware of where you are in right. time and space. You know where you're at. You know you're mm-hmm. in your therapist's room and, yep. and what you're there for. Um, it says this approach allows for clients to work directly with material at a conscious level. You know what this kind of reminds me of is when you have twilight sedation, I think it's called, where oh, yeah. you're not fully put under and you're like talking to people, but you also later don't really remember a lot of it. Have you had that? I have me for too. like medical procedures. Yeah. What else would they do it for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, recreationally. I dated an anesthesiologist yeah. once. No, I'm just kidding. He brought his work home. <laughs> You know, what I liked about it was some people are really nervous about being put fully under for something. Yeah. And also anesthesia tends to make me pretty nauseous. Mm. And so basically, to sum it all up, the psycholytic therapy, it says low level disassociation occurs, but clients maintain their capacity for dialogue and awareness of the physical space. Yeah, they stay grounded in the moment. Right. I wonder if you had some kind of little T trauma Mm -hmm. that was hard for you to talk about, but not big T trauma, Mm -hmm. but enough that if you had this kind of disassociation at a low level where you could relax enough that you could just feel okay talking about it because of that, I don't want to say like relaxation, but a disassociation is different than relaxation. Yeah, 100%. But it also is still something that removes stress like mm-hmm. relaxation does. 
Yeah. So that makes sense. Okay. The other one that people I think are more familiar with is the psychedelic therapy. And that doesn't mean eating a mushroom you found in the woods by yourself (laughs) or with your buddy. Yeah. Key in on the therapy because you're still going to have your therapist there. Also, don't just eat mushrooms you find in the woods, people. Spoiler, some of them can kill you. People do that. I know. Some of them are poison. (laughs) This article calls it It aims for an ego-dissolving experience. Sounds fucking intense. Yeah. In this case, they give clients high doses, typically via intramuscular or intravenous administration, to induce a disassociative experience. So you've got the low-level disassociation with the psycholytic that we just talked about, but this is like full-on dissociative. Fucking floating. So it says people often experience traveling out of their bodies and losing touch with the physical realm where they detach from any prior sense of identity. This is the kind of thing that I think they would do for like big T trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Psychedelic ketamine experience is a journey and is typically powerful enough to shake up even the most stuck cognitive patterns, at least temporarily. So this is particularly a situation where it can arouse like some kind of fear. Um, Yeah. And that's why it's really important to have a therapist there for that. Yeah. This is clearly not microdosing. We'll get there. This is full-on dosing, what you're talking about right now. Yeah, but I guess it's like an example of how using this kind of medication can result in large breakthroughs in this sense, but Mm -hmm. maybe you don't need to have a large breakthrough. You just need like a little support. Yeah. A couple more quick things about this. The psychedelic therapy? Yes. I thought this was kind of interesting. They were talking about a primary example being suicidality. Mm -hmm. And that's one way to help break through that. I mean, it's not like you have this breakthrough where like you do this session one time and then everything's fine. Yeah. But it kind of helps bring up the things that are so traumatic and awful that are making them feel that way so that they can work through them. Well, the idea of interrupting the thought pattern is the thing right. that like strikes me that makes a lot of sense. Right. But also, it's very educational for mm-hmm. the therapist when oh, they yeah. do that. Anyway, now I think this is typically done in the West. Oh, it says also in Europe where it was historically practiced. Hmm. Well, I mean, a lot of the research that I was reading about earlier was coming out of Northwestern Europe. So yeah. Anyway, so those are kind of the higher doses, more intense versions of this therapy, obviously. But then microdosing is typically defined as taking 5 or 10% of a full dose. So a much, much smaller amount. When you say full dose, you mean like a dose that somebody would take to get high. Or right. However you want to The recreational. It. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So maybe we say 5% of a recreational dose. <laughs> sure. And it says, um, there's this article from the New York Times uh, by Dana Smith called More People Are Microdosing for Mental Health, But Does It Work? From about a year ago. And it says, for instance, in a clinical setting, a 155 pound man might take 20 milligrams of psilocybin for full psychedelic experience. So for a microdose, he'd only take two milligrams. And obviously, one of the big problems with this shit is a lack of infrastructure around it because it's not legal and it's not regulated. There's no FDA, you know. It sounds like there's some legality in Oregon and Colorado, but that's it. Well, Oregon and Colorado, I believe just mushrooms are legal. Yeah. And then there are certain cities around the country. But then outside of that city, if you step into another city in the state, you're in trouble. Well, and... 
like you were saying, some people do go and forage. I mean, one of the articles mm-hmm. quoted a bartender from Seattle who yeah. said they go forage their own mushrooms and clearly they know what they're looking for. Dose with them. But yeah, I mean, the dose that a lot of people are taking is like, I take a little nibble of a mushroom every morning. It's like- well, yeah, <laughs> there's an article here from Harvard Health Publishing by Peter Grinspoon that says microdosing of psychedelic substances such as LSD or psilocybin involves taking a fraction of a regular dose or a subperceptible dose that is much lower than one would take if they wanted to, quote, trip or hallucinate on the substance. If you know what you're looking for and you go out to the woods near your bar in Seattle, maybe you can find the right thing. But there's like hundreds of different species of mushrooms and some of them will literally kill you. So just, you know, careful, You know guys. what? That bartender gave their full name in that article. And she should did. find out where she's working. Ooh, let's go there. And then go sit at her bar and be like, hey. We heard you know where to find the good mushrooms and what they are. Do you put any of those in your craft cocktails? You want to go forage with us? Let's do it. (laughs) This article also says that given the current illegality and lack of regulation, there's no good way to know what dosage you're taking unless you have a really reliable supplier. I I wouldn't know how much to fucking take of LSD. I wouldn't know what that looks like. And apparently they're non-toxic and they're not habit forming, but they can produce tolerance, physiological tolerance over time. So then eventually you end up with diminishing returns. So you have to take more to feel the same. That's an argument for legality. If we legalize it, then we can actually have barometers for like how much is too much or, you know, what actually qualifies as a microdose that people can use safely. It can be measured. But until it's legalized, then people are going to go dig up fucking mushrooms in the woods and eat them or buy them from someone on the street or whatever. I mean, that's a frequent argument in legalizing anything is you can regulate it Mm -hmm. if it's legalized. Also, you can make some money for your state and right. infrastructure just about right. other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how much people will prioritize their and drug I mean, use. <laughs> frankly, though, like it, let's say you are buying stuff for medicinal purposes yeah. or, you know, even if it, we're talking about mental health, of course, people are going to prioritize that. Yeah. They don't feel like shit every day. No. So it's kind of win-win, right? They get what they need to feel better. We fill a pothole. And yeah, we have good streets to drive on. Great. It's not that simple, I know. If only. Yeah. No, probably the army gets 14 more thousand dollar mugs. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not going to go down that road. Oh, you you need psycholytic Uh (laughs) therapy. Okay. I have a question for you. Yes. If you were a person who struggled with depression or anxiety or both, and Michelle's raising her hand. I am a person who struggles with depression and anxiety and it's both. Unanimous. If you suffer from those things and your doctor is happy to write you a prescription for Zoloft or Prozac or, you know, <laughs> hands are shooting up again, whatever medication they think is going to work well for you. And, you know, you can get the generic from your insurance for like $3 a month. Why would you choose to microdose over those medications? Good question. I certainly can speak to the experience of being on the SSRI drugs. That's the same selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Uh So those are all the ones you just mentioned for treating depression. 
And I love my Zoloft and I don't care who knows it. Nor should you. No, it's fucking great. It, it has helped me maintain some fucking sanity and even temperament in my life, basically. Yeah. You know what would be more shameful, in my opinion, is if you were feeling that way and you were just wallowing in it and not doing anything about it, even yeah. though there are tools and resources out there to help you. Then I'm good for nobody. To help you help yourself so you can help my children, your kids, and mm-hmm. be a good friend and a good partner and all the things. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. I have no fucking shame about it. I um, know. And that's good. Yeah. So I think that there are people who are really hesitant because those are chemical and not natural. And so okay. maybe you would choose to do some shrooms over taking Zoloft or whatever. Um, there's definitely been research that has found that the psilocybin, the chemical in the mushrooms, mm-hmm. in higher doses can be as effective as the SSRIs. Uh-huh. But you can't function at a high dose. If you take a full-on mushroom cap, like you're a regular dose of mushrooms, <laughs> you can't go to work. Okay. Right? I mean, maybe you can. Props to you if you can. But... I certainly wouldn't be able to. Wait, I sorry, I'm confused though. Because if you're microdosing, so I think that microdosing it's just a little edge off. Okay. But the full on, it says here, this is the New York Times article again. It says Research into the mental health benefits of full doses of psychedelics is promising, and one early phase study even found that psilocybin at high doses may be as effective as an SSRI for treating depression. Full doses of psychedelics help the brain develop new cellular connections, a process called neuroplasticity, and there is some evidence that microdoses produce similar changes. So you wouldn't feel in that moment like... I'm floating. I feel great or whatever. Yeah. But if it's causing some neurological change in your brain, even slowly over time, Mm -hmm. those microdoses, since they do affect the same neurons and everything, then that could be beneficial. But there's a lot of studies about this stuff and the jury's out. Okay. I do know that we all talk about antidepressants now. There's a whole like mom culture around drinking, right? All these ways in which we are medicating to help us get through right all the shit right we're the pinehurst wine moms remember i do remember (laughs) she says as she picks up her glass cheers (laughs) yeah but part of that i think came from the fact that so much postpartum depression and anxiety goes undiagnosed right and you know we've talked about this obviously we have a whole episode about it it is starting to be more addressed right and looked for yeah and when you feel like shit It feels good to feel good. 100%. If you're having a rough time and then you have an afternoon with other moms who feel similarly and your kids are playing and you guys are having a glass of wine and laughing and stuff. And when you're done and you go home, you're like, wow, that was fun. And I haven't felt that good in a long time. I needed that. Yeah. And And now there's a culture, right, of mommy microdosing. Well, right, exactly. So this is kind of a new take on this, which is frankly healthier than the bottles of wine. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think it is a, I mean, alcohol is also a natural substance, I suppose, but it is a less, uh, I think, less taxing on your body, especially if you're doing it in these micro doses. Right. And when you are microdosing, like you can still do all your regular things. Fully functional. You can drive, you can work, you can parent, you can do all the things. Right. But like I teased... It's certainly not proven, and it's not totally even theorized at this point that it truly works, because studies have shown different things. 
Well, if they decided they were going to legalize it and regulate it, then they'd probably put a lot more money into studying it. Absolutely. To make sure that it was worth. Yeah, Pfizer got to get their money somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Don't you think that if a lot of people are doing it on their own and coming back to it because they're feeling better, it's got to be more than a placebo? Yes, and I think. Um, I think that we just don't have enough information yet, really. But there have been lots of studies that have shown that there was no difference in the control group that had the placebo versus the group that actually had the microdose of the drug. They came back all feeling better because they all thought that they had the drug or whatever. That really is a strong indicator that the placebo effect is real. Like, I remember when we did the um, alcohol episode with Sarah back in the day. God, I love Sarah. Sarah's wonderful. Hi, Sarah. I remember reading, it might have been Annie Grace, that said that some of the studies have shown that, you know, that mom who's so tired after work and she comes home and she has to fucking cook dinner and she just wants a glass of wine and blah, 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 that the relief comes over her when she opens the cupboard to get the glass for the wine, not when she has the wine. Or when she opens the bottle. Right. But it literally is before she's even ingested any of the thing. Right. So it's more about the habit. And the knowing or thinking, believing that it's going to do the thing for you. That's right. That was interesting. So I wonder how much of that is like, well, I'm in this clinical study for shrooms. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I feel better. Mm -hmm. And even if you're on the placebo, you still think you feel better. Well, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's undisputed that if you take enough. Enough. There will definitely be an effect. Absolutely. What is disputed is if you take a little nibble of a mushroom every day. Just a teeny little corner. Is it going to produce an actual effect or do you just think that you're feeling better because you nibbled on a mushroom Well, (laughs) or whatever other, a capsule or lozenge? Yeah. Then the question becomes, if that's the case, does it matter if you feel better and it's not harming you? Like, we all know alcohol is not good for you. So over time, those glasses of wine are harming ourselves, harming us. Right. (laughs) But if it's not harmful and it's a small, small little dose of some natural thing, maybe it's not doing anything, but you think it is. And so therefore you feel better. Then what's the harm? Well, and the other thing, I guess maybe one of the answers to that is that it can be a gateway. So like maybe you think you're feeling better mm. and you like feeling better so much that you take that tomorrow more. you're going to take a little bit more yeah. and then a little bit more and a little bit more until you're like full on using every day. Who's going to regulate and control that? Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a difference when you're talking about shrooms and LSD versus, you know, fucking heroin and meth, first of all. Well, I don't know. I mean, you think about, you know, all these stories you hear about suburban housewives and moms that get hooked on oxy and then they're homeless five years later. They never intended to be that person. Right. But it got out of control. Totally. Totally. I just, I think, I mean, this is a different class than the narcotics and the opioids. That's this true. is a different thing. And I, I don't know enough, honestly, to say whether the outcomes are still yeah i've never really read a story about anyone who's ruined their whole life over for a mushroom no (laughs) right yeah it's like a hippie thing yeah you know or there's a lot of cultural usage in certainly like south america you know they've got a lot of kind of ritual ceremonies where they're communing with spirits and that sort of thing native american culture too yeah i mean this goes pretty far back these types of psychedelics and things somebody was like i was just trying to find a nice accompaniment for my steak and guess what happened i was a bear 
Dude, cocaine bear. Comes oh my god, it's out. Oh, it is. It's out, and I need to see it. Listen, I I've, think it's going to be so dumb funny that it's going to be fantastic. I heard it's great. Okay, I have known about cocaine bear for so long. Guys, I just asked my family in the family text the other day. I was like, "You guys, is this for real?" Yes, and they were like, "Well, yes, there was a cocaine bear, but it was more like this is what could have happened sure. ridiculously." You know, sure. But I learned about the cocaine bear on my favorite murder years ago. Oh, okay. And it is one of my favorite fucking stories. This is a total fucking sidebar, but since we're talking about drugs, that's what we and do. bears. You all know about my deep love for my favorite murder and their <laughs> you haven't talked about brilliance in a while. it's been a minute yeah. yeah i was thrown in some other podcasts there for a while i do still listen to them on the reg and i'm caught up fully okay but years ago they told the story of the cocaine bear now you may have seen the trailer for this movie and thought what ridiculous bullshit is this <laughs> This is a true fucking story. Well, again, they take some liberties. The incident. Certainly in the scripted movie version. Right. But the initial incident, I don't remember fully. Maybe I'll, I'll try to find the episode and link it in the show notes so you can go listen. It's just the best. There was a drug plane flying over, I want to say somewhere in South America, and now I can't remember. And the plane was having some serious trouble and they needed to offload some weight. Right. And so they started throwing stuff Overboard, basically, like out into the woods. Right. And part of what they threw was giant bricks of cocaine. And then a bear was like, mm, yum, that looks good. What's this? And ate it all and died. Okay. Here's an article on Variety.com called The True Story Behind Cocaine Bear. Mm-hmm. It says, the true story behind cocaine bear started in September 1985 mm-hmm. when a convicted drug smuggler, Andrew Thornton, died after a parachuting accident. The working theory is that Thornton was traveling in a plane with 880 pounds of cocaine and thought the feds were trailing him. Gee, I wonder why he's so paranoid. (laughs) So he decided to throw some of the stash out of the plane and take some more with him when he parachuted out. His plan went awry. Thornton was reported dead on September 11th, 1985. He was found in a driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee, wearing Gucci loafers with roughly $15 million worth of cocaine strapped to his body. It was in Tennessee? No, no, that's where his body was found. A bear did not enter the picture until four months later. The New York Times reported in December 1985 that a 175-pound black bear Why do I weigh more than that bear? (laughs) God damn it. It had to be young. (laughs) Died of an overdose of cocaine after discovering a batch of the drug. The bear was found dead in the Chattahoochee National Forest. Still Tennessee. What the the, fuck? The cocaine was apparently dropped from a plane piloted by Andrew Thornton, a convicted drug smuggler who died September 11th in Knoxville, Tennessee, because he was carrying too heavy a load while parachuting. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, oh, it says... The Bureau said the bear was found Friday morning in northern Georgia among 40 opened plastic containers with traces of cocaine. so much cocaine. Wait a minute. Okay. By the way, the bear is on display at some museum now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Says the doctor performed an autopsy on the bear and found that it had three or four grams of cocaine in its bloodstream, although the bear could have consumed even more. Rumors have long circulated that the bear ate all 40 containers worth of cocaine, which would be about 35 pounds. Jesus Christ. The guy, oh my God, he strapped $15 million of cocaine, made himself too heavy for the parachute, and crashed to his death. Don't do drugs, kids. Also, don't be greedy. Right. 
Leave some more for the bear. (laughs) The bear got enough, clearly. (laughs) It killed him. So let me just wrap this My Favorite Murder Angle up because there's a YouTube channel for their media company, Exactly Right Media. And one of the prolific contributors is this guy, Nick Terry, who does animated shorts based on snippets of their conversations oh, from my favorite you've shown murder. me these before. I've showed our children a lot of them. Sorry. <laughs> they all know about Cocaine Bear too. <laughs> That's um, okay. Yep. But it's MFM animated by Nick Terry. And he, th- their conversation about the whole thing is just fucking hilarious. And then he does it. He animates the whole thing. It's just so great. <laughs> I'm going to find it and link it for everybody. It's so good. I love it so much. Anyway, Cocaine Bear. We're going to have to see it. Yeah. I don't know how we got off on Cocaine Bear, but... Oh, the Native Americans who had the mushrooms with their steak and then didn't know they were going to be a bear. Oh, that's right. You said they became a bear. And I was like, squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, we might have to do some research on this. After the fact, as as we usually do. (laughs) And then we'll come back next week and be like, so. So we got real high. I don't remember anything between our last recording and now. I think I might have taken too high of a dose. Perhaps. That happened Um, once when we were leaving your mom's house. Oh, my God. Everybody decided (laughs) to share these peanut butter cup edible things. But I shoved an entire one in my mouth and it hit me right when I was climbing into my Uber. Well, and you had to go home without us. You had to go home early. Oh, you were leaving on a trip or something. So good idea to drink wine and take an edible the night before at Michelle's mom's house. Thanks, mom. We love you. My mom's the best. Yeah, she had them in her freezer for yeah, us. she was ready. I mean, I don't think she bought them for us, but they were there. And somebody she gave them, them to her, and then she anyway, didn't want to eat Anyway, you guys them all. all took like well, a fourth. Here's what happened. No, no, no. We had halves. You took a whole one and took off. <laughs> the rest of us shared two, so we each had half. And then it was visible. We were like standing around in my mom's kitchen when it hit all of us at the same fucking moment. <laughs> Those moments are pretty funny. <laughs> we all just went whoa, what's <laughs> happening? When we left my mom's, because she was like ready to crash, and the rest of us were like, are you hungry? Do you want some fries? Classic. Who needs food? Another anecdotal story. So mushrooms are really popular with kids right now, but I don't mean the mushrooms that you microdose and get high with. I mean the mushrooms that look like they came from like the Super Mario game. Like a ones. toadstool? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like the ones that like Mario or Luigi would like jump on. Red with the white dots on yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, What do the, they so, do with them? I don't know. My daughter has a nightlight that looks like that, oh. that I think your mom got her for her birthday. And they have shirts that have these mushrooms. Like these mushrooms are all over. But yeah. a couple of years ago when my daughter was turning 12, my other daughter wanted to pick out a gift for her. And we were at the van store and she picked out this sweatshirt because it had mushrooms all over it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I knew what was happening, but I was like, I'm so done shopping. And she finally found something she wants to get. I'm going to let this ride. So sure, this is what we're getting. <laughs> but when she opened the present, her dad was there and he was like, whoa. He's like, let's not wear that one to school, yeah, okay? Maybe that one's just for home. <laughs> it took a while before we finally explained, listen, you can't wear that to school because that's drugs. those are psychedelic mushrooms and let's talk about it. They don't have dare anymore in the school, so <laughs> hey, they don't know. I mean, what I'm saying is the mushrooms are cool with the kids right now because they look like Super Mario Brothers mushrooms. Maybe that'll translate to taking mushrooms being cool. I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. I mean, a lot of them don't want to drink because their parents do, and that's lame to uh-huh. do what your parents do. So mm-hmm. that's fine. Don't drink kids. Uh, but <laughs> then there's... wait until you have kids and you need a mommy wine day. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but then there's like 
what is that trend? They all carry them around in their own like gallon milk jugs, but they've made their own little spoties and they're called like boops or cogs or no idea what the fuck you're talking about (laughs) right now find it i think maybe it's like a safer way to drink a spody with friends because you are controlling your own container okay which is smart sure you know you're still getting drunk but at least there's no roofies i don't know okay hold on borg it's called a borg (laughs) what is a borg mashable what do you have to say the water jug drink college kids are making viral on TikTok explained. That's oh, weird. Oh, no. It stands for Blackout Rage Gallon. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's a slightly new way for college kids to binge drink on the go, and it's all over TikTok. It says Borg is effectively a rebranded, tweaked version of Jungle Juice. Oh, okay. Now, I'm, I'm all about the Jungle Juice. Well, did you do you know what Spody is when I was no. saying Spody? It's the same shit. Basically, we would take a fucking garbage can and put a garbage bag in it so it was less gross, a clean one, (laughs) fill it with fruit and soda and all the liquor we could find. Yeah. So same shit. Very similar to Jungle Juice. Oh, it says, basically, you take a gallon jug of water, dump out about half of it, then you add some alcohol, typically vodka, in whatever brings it to your desired strength. You then squeeze a bunch of Mio or other similar low-cal mixers. Mm Mm-hmm. I've seen some kids dump in liquid IV, which is basically an electrolyte heavy hangover reducer. Shake it up and you've got a Borg to carry around the day party in college. Jesus Christ. Speaking of hangover reducers. Fucking shit. Lately, we've been real rabbit hole people, but I just got to tell you. What happened? Most people probably know this. But you can now go to local places that are you know, not actual urgent care clinics or whatever, and get an IV drip to help you with like a hangover. So for example, at University Village, which is a great outdoor shopping mall type thing close to the University of Washington, bougie shit, there is a spa there called InSpa. They have a new little section of it. It's called the Med Spa at InSpa. Oh, my God. It says the Med Spa at InSpa offers IV drip therapy and nutrient injection services to help support your health and wellness goals. Do you think that it is a coincidence that they have this at their location that's right by the University of Washington? No. You can go to their IV drip infusion bar (laughs) and get all kinds of things. You can get the Max Impact Myers cocktail for $329 that has... I'd rather just be sick that one day. All kinds of shit in it. Oh, they have quite a menu. (laughs) You can get a Zofran drip that is Zofran's an anti-nausea. Seriously? A prescription drug to prevent nausea and vomiting. Oh, I've been on that before. You can get Toradol, an inflammation fighter. You can get vitamin D. You can get a fat melter. You can get athletic performance. But most people that I know that go and get their own IV. B12 and hydration. Exactly. (laughs) And they they have that on their menu. And Uh it's it's not called hangover cure. Of course not. But there are also places that straight up brand themselves as hangover cure places. And people that are in med school or nursing school because they have access to all that shit, oftentimes will give themselves an IV to help um, rehydrate themselves and sober themselves right up. Absolutely. 
So that's not just for med students anymore. It's available to any and all of you. Listen, let me save you $329. (laughs) If you have a night of drinking before you go to bed, you take some Advil. Uh and a super B complex vitamin, or you could just do B12, but the whole B is better. Big glass of water and go to bed. And in the morning, you feel a lot fucking better. Here's my alternative option to that. Drink a Red Bull. I prefer sugar-free. Absolutely not. At the the end of the night or all night, it has so much vitamin B in it. It also has fucking caffeine or I don't know, cocaine or something. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm rarely hungover when I drink Red Bull at the end of the night or all night. Vodka Red Bull, I really like. Yes, I'm that classy. I grew up in Montana. She's a basic bitch. Get guys. over it. It's fine. I don't do that all the time. Sometimes I'm Gin Megan. <laughs> Sometimes she but, has classy martinis that I can't even hang with. Fuck so yeah. Get your vitamin B from the Red Bull. Take the ibuprofen anti-inflammatory and eat some French fries before you go to bed. French fries always help too. All of that helps. Do you think it helps with microdosing (laughs) when you go too far in your major dosing? Here's the thing (laughs) that I don't know about mushrooms. Does it make you eat? Because alcohol makes me snacky. We have some friends we can ask. And weed makes me snacky. I think I'm just a snacky person in general. Well, life makes me snacky. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Oh, God. Hmm. Okay. We may have missed some things from our research here since we got on several rabbit holes, but we need to do some hands-on research. Yeah. Again, after we record about it. We're going to go find that bartender and be like, have you been to the forest lately? Which forest should we go to? Have you done any foraging? No. And how far do you- to a forest. I will be murdered by a serial killer. Oh. I would rather she take that risk. And then I will give her $20. $20. (laughs) For a bag of- Possibly losing your life. You know, she's <laughs> taking that risk anyway. It's true. Another thing my favorite murder says all the time is stay out of the woods. Stay, <laughs> stay out, out of the woods. woods. Nothing good happens in there. Good idea. We need to go watch The Last of Us. Speaking of mushrooms. Hell yes. I didn't think of that until just now, but that is our ritual these days. Mushrooms? <laughs> no. Watching The Last of Us after we record. <laughs> if only we had some fungus to ingest. Well, we did it. Oh, I don't like it when you say it like that. Fungus. Also. That's a terrible word. When do you say fungi and when do you say fungus? Fungus is singular. Fungi is plural. But it all kind of like grows together. So when are you like there's a fungi versus there's some fungus? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> The Last of Us, the illness is based on fungi. Exactly. So it kind of takes a little something away from me. In fact, I passed on mushrooms on some pizza the other day because I was like, "Mm, I've been watching too much of The Last of Us. (laughs) Like that was growing out of some guy's face. (laughs) So I'm good. Oh, God. I'm good. Some of the costumes for the zombies are like, ugh. I love it. Megan hides. (laughs) And then emotional things happen and I hide. (laughs) She's like, are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get scared. You get emotional. Per usual. It's a good show. We're a good team, my friend. Folks, do you want to be part of our team? You can go. God. (laughs) You know what? People make fun of like cheesy dad jokes. And the way that you segue into our (laughs) shit about like our website and our social media and all that. It's like a dad joke. Yeah. Well, I'm a hilarious dad, apparently. Okay. Get it. (laughs) You can join our team. At patreon.com slash Prosecco Theory, where you can get cool things. You can find us online at ProseccoTheory.com, on Instagram at Prosecco Theory. You can email us at cheersofproseccotheory.com. We would love to hear your mushroom stories. What (laughs) drugs have you done? And where did they take you? 
That's right. Did you swim in a fake lagoon in Hawaii <laughs> with your brother and swear there was a dead body at the bottom? Ew. But still not be scared about it. Well. I don't know. Maybe because on some level you knew that wasn't real. Maybe. Or maybe you killed the person. <gasps> Probably not. Ooh. Anywho. Megan, thank you. Once again. Thank you. Always. My partner in crime. Cheers. Cheers.